Hello, everybody. Welcome to Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Harrison. No roses today, no fantasy suites, but probably going to be some drama, maybe some tears. Uh, Definitely real, honest opinions on golf from the man that everyone wants to hear from, Hall of Famer Johnny Miller. Johnny, an honor to sit down with you today. Yeah, it's nice to be with you and nice to do this for Callaway and talk a little golf. Well, every month, Johnny and I are going to sit down. I get to pick his brain on everything going on in the world of golf, maybe the world in general. You never know what tangents we'll go off on. Um, But today... We have the honor of taping this here at the, the mecca of golf, really, in America. And your home, Johnny, Pebble Beach, California. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, than this, especially with the U.S. Open right around the corner. I think like 21 days till the Open Week. So I'm excited, all the infrastructure going up and checking out the rough. And I was here last night for the Boys Club. And uh, it's just got a, I got a real feel for the U.S. Open this year. I wish I was covering it, but... Uh, I guess I'm sort of doing a little of it right now. Well, that that is indeed the reason we're doing this podcast, is everybody still wants to hear what Johnny Miller has to say, what you think. Uh, and obviously the U.S. Open is coming up here at Pebble Beach in June. We're going to talk about that, get your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on everything that is the U.S. Open. Uh, but first, let's step back. Let's talk about the PGA Championship and Brooks Kepka winning his fourth major. What are your initial thoughts on Kepka taking his fourth title? Well, let me just sort of sort of lay a foundation normally on tour historically you need to win eight or ten tournaments to get a major it just sort of that's the ratio right you know so if you win 18 or 20 tournaments you should get a couple majors i mean here's a guy that's won two pga tour events he's got four majors i mean literally when you talk about him it's never happened before and it's almost there's no explanation for it i mean you just can't do what he's doing I mean, it's almost impossible, but I will say he's somehow talked himself into believing that that's where he gets amped up and that's uh, he's comfortable. He thinks they're the easiest tournaments to win because guys basically are choking a little bit uh, with majors. They want a major in their resume so badly. But here, here's a guy that sort of bypassed winning all the PGA Tour events to be able to get to a major or two in his career. So, uh, you know, you look at him, uh, his game – uh, the guy really works hard in the gym, more so maybe than anybody since Tiger Woods. Um, he's got, you know, he's a big guy, hits at a mile, and his his modus operandi uh, in these majors, while other guys are hitting a lot of three woods off the tee and sometimes the irons, he does the, the real b- bomb and gouge big time. His theory is, I'm going to bomb it down there. I don't care if I'm in the rough. I have to hit an eight or nine iron on the rough. I'm so strong from working out. I can muscle it out onto the green. And if I hit the fairway, it's a real birdie hole instead of guys laying it up with a two iron having to go in with a five or six iron. And his his theory is definitely working. I used to have guys like Vijay Singh that would do the same thing. But, you know, what he's doing in the major and what people don't give much credit for is he's a wonderful putter and a wonderful pressure putter and um, you know it's just it's sort of fun to watch him and learn from him has his thinking it's you know it's quite a run he's what won four majors in 23 months yeah three of his last five second in the masters so you know uh, you know if it wasn't for that shot at 12 maybe we're uh, talking about his fifth major he's won four <laughs> of his last eight uh as you said that just doesn't make sense in the world of golf and how quickly he's doing this you said it's inexplicable but let's try and explain it yeah is he a product of the jack nicholas 
setting the 18 major championships. That is what you're measured by, followed by a kid that grew up idolizing Tiger Woods, who also said, I want to chase Jack. Majors is, is what matters. It's, it's not the, the Buick or the, the Wells or the whatever do drop in open. It's the majors. That's what this guy gets, gets up for. Yeah, his goals and affirmations of greatness were there even before he was doing anything, even before he won a PGA Tour event. He, his goal was to be the best player in the world and leave a mark on the game, a great mark on the game. He's even talked about maybe getting double digits majors. But, you know, not everybody is geared to win a major. You look at a guy like uh, Matt Kuchar, who's won a billion bucks on the tour and a lot of tournaments and a lot of million top tens, it seems like. But obviously something's a little haywire when it comes to winning majors where a guy like Jordan Spieth comes right out of college, great college player, super college player, and he, he wins the majors right out of the box. Same thing with Rory McIlroy. And then they hit a lull, but uh, but some guys just don't ever have the kind of nerves or performance they can do, sort of like the last shot, a Jerry West last shot, you know, shooting a basketball. They want right. to shoot that last shot. You know, they, they got the insides to be able to perform under the heaviest pressure. Well, you, you mentioned... Uh something about the majors you mentioned a comment that kepka said yeah. about the majors might be the easiest to win yeah. um and i, I want to go back to a quote that jack nicholas actually said about the masters is that the masters is really the easiest field to beat you have a you know a lot of former champions that have no shot you have you know some guys that aren't on their game then you have guys that are on their game but maybe like a coach or whoever that mentally is not prepared to win a major so you know is that true? It, you know, is Kepka's theory kind of the same as Jack's? Is that, hey, the major fields are difficult, but maybe not as tough as some of these other fields to win, yeah. if you have the mentality to do that. It's interesting because I <clears throat> used to get too amped up for the majors, and usually the first round, uh, my putter wouldn't work. I, my, my weakness was putting, and when you're nervous, your weakness is really exposed. But I was interviewing Jack Nicklaus when I was with NBC, and I and we were outside the steps at uh, the British Open, and I was interviewing him. And I said, "Jack, how do you how do you win 18 majors at the hardest tournament of the year to win?" And he says, "There was a long pause, by the way." And Jack said, "You're you're totally wrong. They're the easiest tournaments to win." And I think Kepka, who's right there where Jack lives, might have told him that story because what he's saying is straight from Jack's mouth that they're technically the easiest because what will happen is. You'll get wannabes that'll shoot 67 in the first round, and then they usually have trouble with the next round. Or you get guys that are in there for three rounds, but they just can't handle the pressure of winning a major. Just certain guys are made to win majors, and it's a very, very small crop on tour. Maybe a handful is all the guys. There are guys that win a major by accident. That's, that's important to know. You'll see a guy that, geez, I won. I won, you know, I won the PGA. Those one-offs. Yeah, just sort yeah. of. Uh, the top player somehow has a bad day or they make a double on 17 or whatever it is. There's guys that do win sort of by accident by being in the mix, but some guys could just take out a major like a Kepka can. They just could basically leave the field. Well, maybe, you know, is he this, this new modern version of a combination of Jack and tiger and, and, you know, when you put the athletic ability mm -hmm. in with this mentality of taking down major titles, it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, he got off to such an incredible start. The guy shoots 63, 64. I was trying to think if there was anyone else who, who the first person to shoot a 63 in a major was. 
<laughs> I guess I was the first. You were the first, yes. Back in, uh, uh, what was it, 73? Yeah. At the U.S. Open, you shot. One, yeah. yeah, the first person to shoot uh, a 63 in a major championship, of course, was Johnny Miller. Uh, Brooks Kepka shoots a 63. So he has a seven-shot lead, Johnny. And, and this is a cakewalk. And everybody, I think even Brandel Chambly agrees, this guy's finally going to win. Um, but uh, sleeping on the lead, it's a very interesting thing. A seven-shot lead when everybody's telling you, you got this. How difficult is that uh, from a golfer's perspective? That's something, you know, us normal folk will never feel. Even putting a little comment ahead of that, to lead every day. From the first hole. is very wearing on you. really is wearing on you because you're you're right there. You're thinking, I'm going to win. And, you know, it's just still Thursday and then Friday and then Saturday. For him to hang in there that, that long. But on Sunday... I'm not sure. Some people, like including Jack Nicholas, did not like a big lead. They were very uncomfortable with a big lead. I think it's maybe it's a feeling of embarrassment if you do lose it. Yeah. You know. So Kepka was going along pretty good, but then on the back nine, he bogeys those four holes in a row, and just uh, Dustin Johnson is having a good day. I guess at the time, Dustin must have been three under. Right. So he got within one shot, and as soon as <laughs> Just to show you the mentality, as soon as Dustin got within the one shot, he must have said, I got a shot at this. I got a chance to win in this uh, this adrenaline that goes through your system with a couple holes to go knowing that you got a shot. Yeah, I can't tell you. I remember at the 75 Masters, um, I shot 75 the first round. And I was way behind Jack and Weisskopf, and I shot 13 under on the weekend, but I finally caught Weisskopf on 17, the 71st hole, and I got within one of Jack, and all of a sudden I realized – I got a shot, and I've never been so nervous in my life. I know what happened to Dustin. He thought it was uh, it was over. Everybody right. was playing for second. It's easy to chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, now he knows if he could birdie one of the last couple of holes, he's got a really good chance to post that score and at least force a playoff. And the the shot of adrenaline, nervousness, and hair stands up in the back of your neck, and I, I think that's what happened to him uh, with those last couple bogeys. So, well, uh, let's let's talk about Kepka's final day because he shoots four over yeah and and as you said he bogeys 11 12 13 14 what does johnny miller say in the booth i, I know you weren't there i know you didn't see or feel the conditions which is a big part of it but what does johnny miller say after he comes off that fourth straight bogey uh you're right i wouldn't probably say too much after two bogeys but the third bogey i know i know something's haywire right something's haywire and then with the fourth one i would probably would have said you know that uh Gasket is leaking oil right now. It's coming out pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, he still has a decent lead. But Dustin is doing what uh, to make it interesting. So it actually was great for the championship to have all of a sudden now you got a ball game. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure why he – it was really windy. I, I talked to Jim Nance uh, uh, last night, and, uh, and uh, I watched it on TV. It was blowing hard out there, and it was disgusting. And – yeah, the course was tough, and that's the old-fashioned U.S. Open rough they were playing. Yeah, not this cut-down version that they've had in the last ten or fifteen years. That that's the real uh, major championship rough that I grew up with, and it's good to see guys when they hit it out in the rough that it's not a cakewalk. You well, know? it's funny you say that because I I felt like I was watching more of a U.S. Open, less of a PGA Championship. Mm -hmm. The way the the rough was, I mean, the guys were maybe the greens weren't rolling at a you know a 17 on step, but it was it felt like a U.S. Open conditions. Yeah, I like the speed of the greens. I wish that all the majors had that speed where that takes off some of the 
uh, fire with the putter, and it puts more onus on the ball striking. Right. I, I really believe that the ball striking, uh, you know, you can teach somebody pr- uh, to putt pretty well, pretty fast, but it takes a long time to be good tee to green. So I like that the emphasis on accuracy, um, putting the ball in play, uh, putting your irons in a proper spot, having uphill putts and not all downhillers. Uh, I thought that that PGA was set up perfectly. I just hope the U.S. Open in a few weeks um, we're getting all this rain out in the West Coast right, right now. I hope that they, that rough grows and that, that it will have that same kind of tough rough. Um, one more thing on Brooks before we move on. Just his mentality is having a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, we've, we've seen Tom Brady do this with the Patriots. Kobe yeah. Bryant was kind of famous for always finding an enemy yeah. somewhere to, to bring into the arena. Kepka is, is he's almost... Uh, embarrassed of being a golfer he kind of wishes he was you know a football player a, a boxer who knows but he just he, he's such an athlete but he always carries that chip on his shoulder yeah. was there anybody in your era or anybody you've seen over the last you know three or four decades that that had that mentality i mean tiger had the just mental strength but kepka you know he said the other day i came off 14 i heard chants about dj dj mm-hmm. and it pissed me off yeah. And that was the game changer. Yeah. Who who do you know? Were you like that? What were you like? Uh, I didn't go that direction. But, you know, guys like Trevino, they're looking for a reason to be determined, you know, or get upset about, you know, comment here or comment there. Uh, possibly, like you said, I think Tiger, uh, at least the first part of his career, remember he ran those Nike commercials basically saying that he couldn't get on certain courses. And, you know, maybe underlying there was that uh, feeling that, as a minority that uh, it, w- it wasn't a fair fight for him growing up in, in some ways. Um, I don't know. It's, guys use motivation as an amazing thing. You know, if you're playing for your mother that just passed away or father or whatever, or you're, you know, uh, people told you growing up you weren't big enough or, or whatever, you didn't hit the ball far enough. Just they, they got, a lot of people get motivated by I'll show you. And I think uh, Kepka, he's... You know, he, he seems to be motivated just because the grass is growing in the wrong direction. He's just looking for <laughs> he's, he's looking for something to get uh, sort of motivated. Well, he's big enough, and he definitely hits the ball far enough. Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller is brought to you by Callaway Golf, who has the number one driver on worldwide tours. Uh, I actually use the uh, Epic Flash myself, Johnny, and uh, no, I don't ever hit it as good as you do. But uh, even for a, a guy like me, uh, man the ball jumps it really does make a difference uh, it is amazing and uh, when guys see me out there they're inevitably they grab my club and they want to hit that epic flash so to learn more about the epic flash or to get yourself one go to callawaygolf.com we'll definitely talk more about kepka when we get to uh kind of breaking down the u.s open coming up here at pebble beach but i also want to talk about tiger woods um missed the cut at the pga and i want to get your thoughts on, on that but also, we got to dial it back and get your thoughts on the Masters and, and him winning his 15th major. Yeah, it was an amazing win, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, when he won the Tour Championship, which was uh, the last events that I, I covered, right. um, it was such a great win. And when he broke through the galley on the 72nd hole at Atlanta, that was epic. I actually, I teared up yeah. I, because, you know, I've covered his whole career from, I was even there. Tiger was playing against my boys in the National Junior, and then he won three of those, and then won three U.S. Amherst. We covered two of them, and uh, and then covered his whole career. So I feel like I'm very attached to him and his golf uh, travails on and off the golf course. And the bottom line is, 
you know, he made a lot of decisions off the course that were not good. I mean, they definitely were double bogeys. And um, But in American, we sort of like to give a guy a second or third chance if he's going in the right direction. So um, him coming back, remember he had the yips chipping? And all of a sudden, he's one of the great chippers again. To be able to get over the chipping yips, which most amateurs, once they get the chipping yips, they're done. Right. They cannot chip. It's almost worse than the putting yips. But the bottom line is he overcame all those things. And even the embarrassment of what happened to him, uh, you know, with some of the stuff he was doing off the course. Uh, I mean, and having it broadcast all over the world. But um, the fact that he stood up to that embarrassment uh, those poor decisions, and then the injuries, which weren't weren't his fault, really, uh, to overcome those from hitting so many golf balls and maybe so much running and maybe even weightlifting, maybe whatever. But right. you know, his uh, his body was sort of breaking down, and the bottom bottom line is that somehow he overcame that, and he almost won two or three majors there before the Tour Championship last fall, if you remember. Uh, but for him to win the Tour Championship, to open up the uh, went from yellow, flashing yellow lights to uh, green, and he—I knew he was going to play well at the Masters. He could play well at the Masters on one leg, but to win that, uh, you know, he should have a picture of that 12th tee at Augusta wow. every morning and kiss it for four guys hitting into the water besides himself that were leaders. I mean, Molinari and Brooks Kepka. Yeah, I mean, and Finau and you yeah, know, and, but, but uh, I felt and, like and Poulter, Molinari and Brooks really had that. It was theirs to, to win or lose. And that, that 12th hole, it's, it was really just inexplicable. I, I could not believe what we were watching. You know, you know, had the camera behind the tee on 12, and, you know, Tiger was aiming in the left center of that little uh, bunker in the front. So right. if, you, if a gust comes up and you're short of the green, it'll catch that bunker. Those guys were aiming between the bunker and the flagstick. They were getting greedy about 12 feet left of the hole. I watched every one of them. They aimed the same spot. And that is a total no-no, even though you're hitting a nine iron. Maybe most of them are hitting nine irons. Uh, they were aiming in the wrong spot, and there was wind up there that they probably didn't feel. But to make that mistake short is is so brain dead, I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, you cannot hit it short of that green. I mean, that's right. all there to it. And you should aim 20, 30 feet left of the hole and just get out of that hole. That hole's just asking, asking for you to have a problem. Well, you mentioned, you know, Tiger and his wisdom around that course and playing smart and where he hit it on 12. And, it, you know, if you're talking about maybe this new version of Tiger and, and playing the way we used to watch Jack play, that shot on 15. Uh, just, again, just a smart play to put it in the middle of the green, mm -hmm. give yourself that eagle shot, but not really take it on. You know, from 12 on in, if you watched where he was hitting his iron shots, even on 13, how he placed it to the left to take the race creek out of the play, uh, all the things that he did coming in, everyone was, he resisted the temptation to get greedy, to go for the flags. He just put it in position, let, uh, he was able to take advantage of the par fives and the rest of the hole, basically even making pars. And that was good enough because the other guys were melting down. And, and, and that's just the, the wisdom and the knowledge of these guys are going to fold. These guys are, maybe they're not going to fold, but they're going to push. Yeah. And, and that is going to cost you. Well, Tiger... The ultimate compliment of any competitor is that you make guys melt around you. And Tiger's done that better than anybody in history. Guys, if you look at his career, when a guy would be tied with him with one round to go or one shot ahead of Tiger, the average score of the guys that had a chance to beat him would shoot about 74. Right. I mean, they were done whole, before they got off the range. His whole career. I mean, yeah. his whole career, he just he made guys just 
basically choke. And, uh, and you know, so once he got in the mix there on 12 and those guys hit it in the Rays Creek, uh, you know, he just played smart from there on in. He knew that he was going to win. That scene at Eastlake that you mentioned, uh, the you know, the parting of the seas and him walking there. And then, you know, I'll never forget that shot as he was walking over the bridge and, and just the sea of thousands of people chanting his name. And mm-hmm. you thought we would never get there. And then you flash to Augusta and, and the hug with his kids. Um, there's nobody here where family means more to him than you do. Um, you know, to put into context, walking off that green and having his kids there in that moment, it just felt like such sweet redemption. And you, you're right. As much as America loves to tear down a star, we love a great redemption yeah. story. And that truly seemed to kind of be the apex of that redemption. I mean, in earlier in um, Tiger's career, his father, Earl, basically taught him a seek and destroy mentality. Uh, it wasn't a joyful mentality. Right. His mom was a big part of that seek and destroy as well. Yeah, you're Step right. on their neck. She's tough. And so he would get, he'd be happy when he went up major and all the work, hard work he put in. But now he is actually appreciative of his family, taking the kids to school. Uh, he's he's happy about the fact people are pulling for him in the right way. Uh, he's he's joyful now. He, he's in a whole much better spot. I'm not saying he's going to play the golf he used to because, you know, he's at an age where in his 40s that is, I don't know how much gas he's got left in the tank. Right. But, but you know, he he's got a good shot um, uh, this year with the Masters. I mean, and with the U.S. Open coming up. And so Tiger obviously wins his. 15th major at the masters and you know inevitably the the talk starts is he back is he going to go on a run obviously brooks kepka is at the top of the mountain right now and number one in the world but you know are we going to see you know tiger version what would this be 3.0 4.0 where he does maybe win a few more majors is jack's record still out there to be obtained well the greatest uh telecast ever did was the 2000 u.s open at pebble and uh uh, that week, uh, I was watching Tiger on the Wednesday on the 15th and 16th hole and just standing next to him. I could feel the, the vibe he had was so powerful and he was so dead center in the heart of his, uh, uh, prime. Uh, the next day, uh, Dan Hicks asked me after an hour on the show, this is Thursday now. He said, uh, Johnny, uh, what do you think Tiger's chances are? And I said, not only is he going to win the tournament championship, He's going to win by record score. And he looked at me like, how could you even say that? We just started the U.S. Right. Open. But I could just feel this uh, this feeling uh, the, of Tiger. And so now we're back in 20-something days uh, to go back to Pebble. So if there was going to be a place that he could get a second major, it's got to be Pebble. He loves know? it here. It's got to be. I mean, there's other guys you got to look at too, but. Uh, Tiger, uh, I always say the secret to a major championship is that first round. Interesting. People don't realize that. The guys that shoot 74 or 5 almost never are in the mix. But Tiger's had some off first rounds before. I mean, at the at Augusta especially. Remember, he in his whole career, he almost had no comebacks. Did you know that? He right. always led. Yeah. He, he had, like, no come from behind. It's just a few, like less than a handful in his whole career. For some reason, he's a front runner. Right. So for Tiger... Um, you know, he needs to get off to a good start, especially as you get older. It seems like it's really important to get in the mix. Once you get off to a good start, you're in the mix instead of outside looking in. So that's what I look for for him at Pebble. Uh, it's not that long of a golf course, uh, position course. And the other thing that 
is not only is Kepka a great iron player, Tiger's even a better iron player. He's number one ranked this this season mm-hmm. in irons uh, hit. His irons the best on tour right now, and that's what Pebble is. Pebble is a real iron game uh, championship. And I want to talk more about the Open, but uh, before we put a pin in the PGA Championship, yeah, um, you mentioned Tiger could win on one leg. Well, he did. He he's won on a on a broken leg before, uh, which brings up John Daly mm-hmm. and the PGA giving him the courtesy of using a golf cart. What are your thoughts? I think that he, Daly should be staying home watching soaps or something. I like John, but. Um... When it gets to that point, a man's got to know its limitations, and you got to know when to call it quits. I mean, it really, it really is. I walked from the walked away from golf really early at 41. Um, I didn't need to, but I knew that my best days were behind me, and I was lucky I was able to go into uh, being the lead lead analyst for NBC. But I did win five years after. Yeah, I, right here at Pebble Beach. Yeah, I know. 46 years old. <laughs> Which was, being a grandfather was a pretty unusual, <laughs> and to beat Tom Watson down the stretch, that was pretty good. So. What is it about you guys when you're 46, Jack? Jack wins the Masters, <laughs> you win here at Pebble Beach. Yeah, that was, a, that was a really gratifying win that sort of showed the guys, they were starting to, players didn't like my announcing uh, technique of being a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot uh, critical when the time, uh, when I thought that it, their play merited that kind of uh, commentary. But uh, after I won that, it sort of shut them up a little bit. Well, you know, my take was what other sport allows an athlete to do that uh, when you're injured? There is no other sport in the world that says, okay, he's hurt. Yeah. Uh, I- I'm sure the Golden State Warriors would have loved to have had Kevin Durant back. And, okay, you guys have to stay five feet away from him. You can't guard. You can't touch him. I don't understand a sport that allows somebody because you're injured to have i mean you know walking is part of this it, mm-hmm. it's part of the grind i mean think of you know when it was 108 degrees and you're grinding it out in a u.s open or whatever mm-hmm. that's part of it it is survival yeah it is you know but you know there, there's an old boxing saying that every great fighter has got one last great fight left in them and uh, i don't know hopefully that's not tiger's last great fight uh, this year's masters but um uh, I think he's point, but I, I I have to be a little critical of Tiger. The fact that he goes to the PGA Championship, he hasn't played since the Masters. He shows up at uh, at you know at the Bethpage the week before, and he only plays a few holes. I heard, and then he goes back home. Then he comes back, and he doesn't play any more holes. He's on site, but he, the only thing I can think of, and nobody's picked up on this talking to Jim Nath, I said he had had to be some injury involved. Had to be something right. like that. And there was there were rumors that he wasn't feeling good, is that he yeah. was under the weather and sick that week, uh, and that's what kept him away. Or, but there was something, clearly. Yeah, something yeah. had to be haywire, not to at least go out to the course and play three holes right. or something. Yeah, roll some putts, get so, a feel for so it. So basically, he sort of took himself out of that championship. Right. Um, the PGA Tour right now is, is really interesting, and some of these tournaments, and this has been done before, it's not not new, but you see Tony Romo, uh, the former quarterback for uh, the Cowboys, Steph Curry, who's uh, lighting it up for the Golden State Warriors, taking spots in a PGA Tour event. Uh, and, and they clearly have no shot at winning, clearly no shot at making the cut even. What's your take on that, on taking a spot? Do you like it? 
you like having these guys in there? Do you not care at all? Well, it's not like there's 40 of them that show up a week. You know, right. it is usually just one guy, and it's usually a headliner that does play. And it's it's sort of you know the tour. Let's face it, it's an entertainment business. There's a traveling circus, and every circus needs a strange performer. And right. So you know, Romo makes it interesting. It's not really the guy's spot that he's taken is a guy that's probably not going to do anything anyway. Right. So I mean, I, I don't really have a problem with it. We've had that in the past where guys have taken uh, uh, one guy or two guys will show up occasionally and play in a tournament and get a sponsor's exemption. But the sponsors only get eight exemptions, so usually they use them wisely. They don't They don't yeah. look for that kind I of mean, story. I mean, the, the way, you know, my boys and I at the club were talking about it, nobody else had us talking about the Byron Nelson, but yeah. we were talking about Romo. Yeah. Uh, you know, why else did we care about the Byron Nelson this year? Yeah. It wasn't that great of a field. Yeah. And so we were talking about Romo, and, yeah. and was he going to make the cut, and how was he doing? And, and could our best, you know, amateur golfer at our club beat Romo or, or what would our guy shoot at the, so you know, it, at least it sparked debate it gave us something to talk about I have no problem with it whatsoever how did you find the game how did I get involved yeah well my dad was a lot like Earl Woods uh is that he uh, was a good player he got good he was a, originally a tennis player and then he went over to golf and fell in love with the you know Nelson Sneed and and um and uh, Hogan and he just couldn't get enough of golf, a little bit like you. Right. <laughs> and um, uh, he basically said what a lot of people say after they shoot their first round in the 70s. I wish I would have started when I was young because maybe I could have been a champion. Right. So about that time, um, I was five years old, and he started my brother, who was four years older, and my two sisters, and got an Army uh, surplus canvas and stuck it in the basement in san francisco and a mat to hit off on a big mirror and had books uh sneed's book and nelson's book and power golf uh, and modern fundamentals by hogan and uh, told great stories about how great golf was and i was a good little athlete but uh, we'd go down there every evening before dinner for a couple hours actually and uh, he could work his schedule because he, he worked at RCA Communications. He could take any shift he wanted as a supervisor. And so he was able to uh, make make it happen. He was determined to make a champion out of w one of his children. And uh, my brother was more of a fisherman, but so he didn't want to do the hard work that I, I started doing with my father. And my younger sister was good, but she discovered boys. And my older sister was more of a a brainiac type mm -hmm. and um so um i just fell in love with golf i mean the bottom line is is my dad said you can play all the sports you want uh when you're in school but when that bell rings you're a golfer and so i bought into that when the bell rang he would uh, get me to the course and he was always positive um took me to the junior tournaments and um it was like the perfect up I was able to play those great courses in San Francisco. Right. I started taking lessons at San Francisco Club from John Geertsen, uh, and uh, they sort of adopted me over there, and, uh, and I was able to play there. And then same thing happened at Olympic Club. I was winning the junior tournaments in the Bay Area and in my age group, and the Olympic Club sort of adopted me, and I became the first junior member without my father being a member. It's called the Merit Program. They still have that program, by the way, but I started it. and So I was like, the, I had the perfect i played pebble when i was growing up and i'd like the perfect spot to grow up with you play year round right. but you're a big guy i mean you, yeah. you know to think about kepka yeah you could have been a linebacker 
We could have put a 51 on your back and put you out there, you know, any day. Yeah, when I, uh, especially after I bought my first ranch up in Napa Valley, I gained like 20 pounds. I was like 190, and, you know, I still had like a 31-inch waist. It, um, but it wasn't good for my golf. I got too tight. But these guys now know how to do it with their trainers. Yeah. They build the muscle, but then they keep your flexibility. Back in our area, era, there's really no stretching exercises per se. Right. It yeah, was uh, it was a whole different ball game back then. Hall of Fame golf career uh, from one broadcaster to another, a Hall of Fame broadcaster you were. What does Johnny Miller do now? Do you pick up a club? Do you play golf? What do you do? I know you love to fish. Yeah. Well, I've been injured uh, for I had this right groin tear, and that thing just won't go away. And I got that golfer's elbow. I had a shot of cortisone about a month or two ago, and it's. I mean, knees aren't good. My lower legs, I got compartment syndrome. I got bad back. I, I sort of... You know what we do to horses like you, Johnny. <laughs> I sort of <laughs> I sort of ruined myself by all the golf balls I hit, but yeah. also by going like 15 ranches, and I love to f- clean up property. I like, I can't... If I see some trash on the street or anything, I got to pick it up. I just can't... I, I, guess, I don't know if I'm... I don't know why I'm so that way, but... Uh, I've sort of worn out my body, unfortunately, for golf, but I'm hoping I can maybe get where I can play nine holes with my 24 grandkids. So, Is that how many grandkids yeah, you have now? 24. That's 24. about average in Utah. But. Yeah. <laughs> You're a rich man. That's a, yeah, that is that a rich is, man. That's true. Yeah, that's it's all one. about family. Yep. And, you know, that's uh, very lucky. I've got a great wife. 50th wedding anniversary is uh, this September, so that's cool. Don't forget it. No. <laughs> I, I got the only wife in America that never remembers her anniversary. I have to tell you, you know what today it is? Uh, no. Uh, it's our anniversary, honey. <laughs> By the way, it's fine if she does that. It's not okay if you uh, do that. I, I know. Um, but, yeah, and I, obviously family has been huge to you. Yeah. You know, when you when you look back at that transition from, from golf to moving into the booth, yeah. What was that like for you? Um, a scary time, you know, uh, something you didn't know a lot about. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, high school speech class was like the worst time <laughs> of my life. Even though in our church, you do have to speak in front of the congregation. And, uh, but that was terrifying also. But, um, uh, you know, I got the call. I told my wife, like in first of November that I was going to retire I was 41, 1989, and I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to play maybe the AT&T at Pebble and a couple tournaments a year. And and uh, so I was, she was okay with that. I was doing golf course design and a lot of outings, doing like 45 outings a year for corporations. But I get this call like three days later out of the blue. Uh, yeah, Lee Trevino is uh, going to the Champions Tour, the Senior Tour. Uh, would you like his job? And they said, it's a really rare job being lead analyst. And I said, no, I I was thinking a speech class. Now I'm thinking there's no way I want to do that. Yeah, know? we go from a guy who won't <laughs> shut up and Lee Trevino to a guy we've never heard talk in yes. Johnny Miller. And my first sentence to him was, "What makes you think I could do that job?" You know, sounds like a typical Johnny Miller comment. But they said, "Well, we think you can do it." And I said, "Well, I have no interest at all." And they said, "Hey, think about it for a week, and then we'll call you and see if you change your mind." And so I went and told my wife. I said, "Linda, that." Hey, uh, they just offered me this great job. You know, it's a really rare job. There's only like three guys that have that job in all of golf. And uh, I said, it's a pretty cool job. But I told him I wasn't interested. And she said, well, it'd be nice 
to get a regular paycheck now that you're retired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll give it a shot. But after the first day, I quit. By the way, really? Yeah, and I quit uh, again after the ninety at the Ryder Cup of Kiowa. I said, that's enough of this. You know, that's sort of my famous saying. I tell my kid, okay, kids, enough of that. So when you say you quit, I mean, you legitimately told your boss, yeah. hey, guys, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I said, this is not for me. And um, and then after about every probably sixth or eighth broadcast throughout that 29 years of NBC, I was thinking, eh, I, I think I've had enough of this. You know, I, I it, was, it was never, but the, the team around me uh, was so fantastic. You know, Dan Hicks and, you know, Gary Koch and Roger Malpe and, you know, just that whole group, uh, uh, Koch, and it just, it, yeah. it was the best team. So, and this is not an indictment on, on the team now by any means, but from my perspective, it's just not the same. It's just not. That team was just all-star team. Uh, and you, you became known as this guy who, you know, would have the opinions, a little outspoken, a little brash, could rub some of the players the wrong way, could rub even fans the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Was that intentional or is that, was that just you doing you? I was the kind of guy that if I had the yips or I was choking, I'd say to the press I was choking and I had the yips. But if I was playing great, I'd be the first one to say, I am playing so good right now. <laughs> I even sometimes would show up. I did it at Tucson. I said, uh, before the tournament starts, I'm going to win this week. I mean, nobody did that, you know, that, but that's the way I was. It is maybe it was one side or the other. It was no middle ground for me. It was right. either a guy was playing good or, he, you know, basically he might be choking or he's making mental errors. He's making bad club selection. He's arguing with his caddy. I was willing to go there where uh, other announcers for all those years were sort of, um, as Dave Mars said, he was gilding the lily, so to speak. It was right. all you know, real lammy pammy sweetness, you know, and, you know, guy duck hooks at OB, I was a bad break, the wind came up or something, you know, I wasn't going there, you right. know, to, to me, it was, golf was, you know, the choke fact, the greatest part of golf, you listeners out there, the greatest part of golf is the choke factor, you know, whether you're playing for two bucks or a Nassau or whatever it is, what you do on the last hole with a double or nothing or a press bet, that is what makes people want to come back. And so to ignore that on tour of a guy coming down the stretch and wilting and ignore that as a, you know, that's too embarrassing to talk about. You're missing the whole point. Right. I think you're missing the whole point. So that's what makes a champion. Yeah, absolutely. That's the difference between, you know, and I, I had a 74% win rate with the lead on Sunday, which was actually the highest of anybody until Tiger Woods. And I had the yips. You say that's impossible. How can you have the yips? and be good on Sunday, but I was good with my irons and, and thinking around the course. But, you know, I fought those yips for, I started getting them right before the British Open in 1976. And, and I was trying all different kinds of things. I tried looking at the hole, closing my eyes. I tried, I was the first guy to have a, a putter up the arm like Kuchar right. does. I was the first guy to do that and everybody laughed at me. But I that, that British Open, I put some red fingernail polish on the bottom of my putter grip that dot there, I put a dot there, and I would just watch that dot to make sure it went the same miles an hour back and through. <laughs> Anything going, to get slowing, the ball getting, in the hole. I was going back slow, then flipping it, you know, and and that helped me win the British. But from that point on, I was, I was fighting the yips, and um, yeah, that's one reason why I quit uh, early in my career. Right. Do you regret anything? You you said a lot, but was there is there anything where you got off a broadcast, or maybe you think years later, 
Eh, maybe I went too far. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Well, yes, there was quite a few of them, but you know, at the at Doral, I, I I said Craig Perry, we showed a swing. And I said, you know, that that swing would make Ben Hogan puke. <laughs> I found out that he ended up winning the tournament. By the way, he holed it out in right. the playoff, but uh, but. You know, he cup he has a broken left arm at impact and cups his left wrist and sort of pulls to the left and uh, I said it looks like some uh, fourteen or or even eighteen handicapper and I found out that the word puke didn't go over real well on TV but I did have a policy just so you know it not many people know this but uh, if I went over the line which I did probably six eight times is I would try to apologize within twenty four hours to the guy. And it, it actually works real well at home, too, with your own family when you make a mistake is to have enough guts to, you know, before it festers, uh, it's good to clean that up. Step up and own it's, it. That's a good thing for everybody is that that technique really is. So, uh, yeah, I had a few of those. But, uh, <laughs> when I said Justin Leonard, your buddy there yeah, I, I, at the Ryder Cup, he hadn't, hadn't ever won a match in the Ryder Cup and. Uh, he was on 17. He has a nice little eight iron to the green. Hits a left of the left bunker. And I, I was wanting the U.S. to win the Ryder Cup so badly. I just sort of lost it with Justin. I said, the only place Justin Leonard should be right now is home watching it on TV. That didn't go real big either. <laughs> but um, I did apologize to him right. the next day uh, at a corporate outing that he was it was at and I was at. But um, and he accepted I, it well. Well, he's a non-confrontational he guy. Is, yeah, I, I'm a little bit that way too. But um, no, he, he's a good guy. He's a good Texan. He is, yeah. Uh, Justin and I went to high school together back in yeah. Lake Highlands. Um, if if anything I've learned about Johnny Miller, man, you got an eye for real estate. Uh, you got your place at Silverado. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're part owner up there in Napa. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at your backyard. You guys can't see this, but Johnny and I are literally sitting over a golf course here at Pebble Beach looking at the ocean. You pick well. Yeah, I, I, I actually have. I think the last count, which I'm not bragging, but I love real estate. I don't, to me, putting money in something I can't see or feel or, or walk on. Uh, but I think I've owned like 67 properties since I have been uh, on tour. So I like to buy property and fix them up. And that's just sort of my hobby besides fishing and hanging out with the kids and taking that kind of family stuff. But um, uh, my hobby is looking for good properties, rare properties. Yeah. I always believe if you buy a rare property in a good location, uh, it's it's the best investment in the long term. Uh, one last personal question. This is probably the most personal, toughest question I'll ask you today. Have you ever watched an episode of The Bachelor or Bachelorette? I have watched. You you do a good job, by the way. <laughs> I can't say I've watched a whole show. Okay, I'll take that. We will <laughs> wait, judges. Yes, we will accept that answer. <laughs> no, you do. It's a good show. There's no doubt about it. But I, I have no interest in worrying about uh, finding another girlfriend. My wife said you only get one other girlfriend. It's Pebble Beach. You get the golf course at Pebble Beach. And She's me. beautiful. That's a good choice, <laughs> by the way. You know, I would think less uh, of of Johnny Miller if I if he says, "Yeah, I'm a devout member of Bachelor Nation," and I watch every. There was a moment I met Clint Eastwood the first time I met him. Um, I walked up to, to Clinton, you know, and he had the whole Clint Eastwood vibe going, the white T-shirt and the <laughs> jeans, and he had a beer in his hand. He looked like he could run through a wall still. And he looks at me and he says. Chris Harrison. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Eastwood. And he says, I watch your show from time to time. And I wasn't sure how to take that. I, you know, I didn't want Clint Eastwood to have ever seen my show. I want him to just kind of grab me and just, you know, call me a punk. Um, but so I'm glad. I'm glad you've seen it, but he's not a devout fan. 
let's talk about the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's coming to Pebble Beach, your backyard, a place that is near and dear to your heart, uh, the site of your your last great victory when you're 46 years old. Kepka is is clearly the favorite, but who else fits this course? Who else do you think will do well here? Well, Phil Mickelson's won won the AT&T this year at Pebble Beach. He's won five times here. He's a Californian. Usually Californians win on California courses. Horse for course. Yeah. Tiger, even the last uh, U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines. Um, And I'm not saying it's a long shot, but Phil is the kind of guy you could not count out for sure. If he can get off to a good start, uh, Pebble Beach makes him young again. So he's a interesting pick even though he's going to turn 49 that week yeah that's sunday Sunday. the final round father's day yeah and then tiger of course his greatest victory was at the 2000 us open by 15 shots um he can't wait to come back here he doesn't play here that much because of the long rounds at the at&t so i'm not sure how much practice he'll he'll have but hopefully it'll show up better than you did at the VGA. You opened this can of worms, yeah. so let's go there. Yeah. Phil Mickelson. Yeah. Um he's one open away from the career grand slam. Yeah. He's won everything else. He's never won a US Open. Uh, much has been made of this, five majors, three masters, but no US Open. Second six <laughs> times. Uh, you know, you said he won back here in February at the AT&T. Does that translate at all? Does that matter what yeah. they saw in February and in playing in June? Yeah, it does. It, there's no doubt that it helps him. He has a lot of good vibes about Pebble. Um, I wish I'd had more chances to play the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach because um, I think I maybe could have won there if I had right. another shot at it. But uh, I would say it's an outside. The problem with Phil is that he's got some really weaknesses in his game. Uh is 220th in fairways hit. That doesn't equate really well to a U.S. Open. He's he was hit, all over the map at the PGA. Yeah, he's just he's just hitting it all over the place. And his iron game is not that great either. In fact, uh, one of the weakest stats he has is in scrambling, which you'd never believe in a million years. But no. this year, his scrambling's way off. So That's a really interesting stat. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if he's got a shot. But like I said, Pebble makes him into a different person. So he turns 49 yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Um, he's 48 heading into this Open. Yeah. You've kind of answered this, but can he win? Will he complete the career Grand Slam? Well, this is his, this is probably his last shot, I think. I really believe that he... I shouldn't say that with Phil because I contradicted myself. Phil, you never can count out for sure. Um, but... Yeah, he won in Mexico at last year, the year before, and... The bottom line is that, but uh, yeah, Father Time doesn't uh, wait for anybody, does it? Uh, but he's had a wonderful career, 44 wins. Um, and like I said, he loves playing in California. He knows Poana. He knows every inch of Pebble Beach. Uh, this he's is a good first round, though. But it really, it really is, in your opinion, his best last chance. I, th- I would say yes. Yeah. You know, at, at some point, I don't even. They're heading off to Wingfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Next open. Well, um, he should have won at Wingfoot, shouldn't he? Have? <laughs> yeah. No, that no. darn that darn tent got in the way over there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he shouldn't have hit a driver on the last hole. <laughs> I, I remember a guy in the booth saying that, I believe. <laughs> I said, you don't have to play the last hole on a white horse, okay? You can just sort of hit a three iron out there and then a four iron onto the green 
and three putt and win. You don't have to. You don't have to do what he did and bring in the double bogey. Bones should have snapped his driver. I know. <laughs> I said that. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a big mental mistake. This is a special place. Uh, when you think of Pebble Beach, where we're sitting right now in the open, you know, you think of Jack's one iron. You had Watson chipping in. Um, Tiger's dominance. You mentioned that this place just it's 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 magical it just has this magical mystical thing about it and i would expect we'll we'll see something special coming up this year as well yeah it usually produces great champions you know you had jack hitting the best one iron shot in history on the 17th hole in 72 and then watson shipping in on the 17th hole to beat jack and uh, mcdowell of course won here which was a bit of a surprise his major breakthrough he's one of those one-offs you mentioned yeah Yeah, he's occasionally the u.s open will produce a player that is one and done as far as winning majors. But uh, I, I think one of the great players will win uh, at the U.S. Open. And, and, you know, do you look at, obviously, Kepka? He's, you know, number one. He's going to be the heavy favorite. But a guy like DJ um, loves to play here, always plays in the AT&T. Jason Day loves to play here, always yeah. plays in the AT&T. There are certain guys that love this course. Yeah. I mean, Dustin Johnson's due for more than one major. He's had several seconds in majors. He won a couple times uh, at the AT&T here. He loves playing out here. And so he, he definitely is a guy to a guy to look at. But, um, yeah, you don't know who's going to get hot that week. But there's some guys that really need a major championship. Maybe it'll happen here. Maybe a Kuchar or something. But, uh, you know, it's just somebody that needs it like a Graham McDowell made his career. Right. Um, yeah, it really did. I mean, yeah. it set him forward and on to Ryder Cups and, and everything else that came. How special is Pebble Beach to you? What does it mean to you? Obviously, the site of your last win. Now you live here. Um, the fact that the Open's coming back. What does this place mean? To, to me, this is really America's... Shinnecock and Pebble, to me, if I ran the U.S. Open, it would be Shinnecock and Pebble and every, every maybe every fifth year throwing something else. I, I just think that those are the two great Sistine Chapels of golf. Uh, both places... Uh, the weather is a factor. The wind kicks up. The fog comes in. It's cold sometimes. It's sort of you know a little Scottish, you yeah. know, in what the weather can be, and it just tests your your game. But the views, nine holes on the ocean, uh, of the most beautiful coastline maybe anywhere in the world. Uh, it's just you know this golf course, as I said before, wasn't designed by any man. This was designed by upstairs. I really believe that it was meant to be a golf course. No doubt about it. It was meant to be a golf course. I saw uh, your quote over there at the. Uh, it's it's set up all the fans that, and the patrons that come through at the U.S. Open. You're going to see uh, essentially that quote by Johnny Miller uh, on the wall. A huge, huge uh, tribute to you. Yeah, it's sort of a cool thing. I saw that yesterday. Yeah, I just went through that yesterday. It was nice to see that. It was. Uh, That'll probably be there long after I'm gone off this earth. So, Well, our next episode, if there is one, will be right after the U.S. Open right here at historic Pebble Beach. I can't wait to hear what Johnny has to say about that championship. Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller has been brought to you by Callaway Golf, makers of the Chrome Soft Golf Ball. I play the Truvis Golf Ball myself, the, the soccer ball. I know there is probably some science behind the reason it looks the way it does but uh if you know anything about me you know i love golf but you know i also love soccer it's what i played in college and after and um i love the soccer balls and and when i play in the at&t pebble beach pro-am right here just down the street uh that's what gets noticed people love talking about it they talk about it on the broadcast and most importantly it works it's long 
It's soft on the greens. It's a great golf ball. If you're like me and you can't get enough golf, well, I got more for you. Check out CallawayGolf.com slash podcast. You can check out the other shows on the Callaway Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today on Real Golf Talk. For Johnny Miller, I'm Chris Harrison. Hit them straight.